Um, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that has even put a desire within our hearts to seek your face, to to join a church, to share your gospel, to pray and lift our prayer requests to you. We thank you, Lord, because we know that all truly comes from you and not from our our own goodness. Lord, we just, we come to you tonight. Lord, we um, just pray for your help. We just pray, Lord, that you'll give me uh, words to speak that come from, from you and that you'll give us all hearts to hear and that you'll give us the grace to be obedient to your word. Lord, we want to lift up all the prayer requests that our church has that are on hearts and We'll pray more afterwards, but we give them to you, and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm a little bit unprepared, so I'm going to take a little bit of time to get the electronics going. But as I am, I'll um, read you a text that I got just before church. This is from uh, my son, Joseph, who you met Paul. Paul's the one that had the accident. He was here last Sunday. That's my oldest son. Then I have a son, um, Joseph, who lives up in Richmond. Um, with his wife and his his one son, and then Daniel's my youngest son, but um, Joseph's wife's name is Esther, and I got this text. Esther had the baby this morning at 11 a.m. Charlotte Sage Crabtree. It's a girl. Don't know how, I don't know, I don't have a wait yet. She started in labor at four this morning. So... Somebody asked me how many grandchildren that makes. I said, I don't know how many hairs are on my head. (laughs) Who said that, Joe or Kenny? Okay, Joe. Why don't you come up here and count them while I'm... (laughs) Okay. This thing's working a little slow. We're going to be looking in the book of Matthew this evening. In the book of Matthew chapter 17. Normally I'll print out all of my um, scripture verses and notes for the sermon just so that I don't have to fumble around trying to find it because it's oftentimes I'm pretty clumsy. I had to 
because of my eyesight, I had to go to this electronic thing, which is not nearly as um, dependable as a book. But um, nevertheless, that's all the excuses you're going to get from me. Um, I guess I'll sing a song while, oh well, good news. Why does everything go slower in church? Kenny, you got an answer for that? Okay, we're going to turn over to Matthew, um, actually Matthew 16. <coughs> Matthew 16, I'm going to start reading at verse 13. Now when Jesus came unto the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elisha, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father who is in heaven. Um, Now this is, what I'm sharing here is is from a, a, a more of a Sunday school lesson where I will be more like asking you questions rather than just preaching at you. But what did Jesus mean when he said, blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed it to you. What was he talking about? What's that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had revealed who Christ was to Peter. Now, Up until this point, Jesus had subtly revealed himself as the Christ to both his disciples and to the world through miracles, through signs. Um, You know, they had seen enough physical evidence 
that he was from God. But Christ hadn't actually come out and sat down and told them, I am the Christ, I am the Son of God, I am the Savior of the world. But throughout Christ's ministry, he performed miracles, he healed the sick, he'd fed thousands of people several times, he had done enough, he had walked on the water, he had done enough to reveal himself through his actions. But even though he, he revealed himself through his actions, how many of the Jewish nation actually received him as Christ? Not very many. In fact, many of those that he fed, that he healed, were completely absent when he was being crucified. Or if they were there in Jerusalem, they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They hadn't, it hadn't been enough for them to receive the demonstration of who he was, to grasp it from their own intellect or from their own knowledge. And here the interesting thing is is Christ is saying to Simon Peter, blessed are you. He's not saying, he's not patting Simon Peter on the back saying, oh, you're so smart, I'm you're the only disciple that actually recognized that I'm the Christ. No, he, was, he probably wasn't the only one that knew it, but Peter was always the first one to speak. And Peter blurts it out. Oh, you're the son of God. You're, you're, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. But he's saying, you're blessed because it was revealed to you by God through the Holy Spirit. Our knowledge of God does not come from our own intellect any more than my salvation comes from my good works. Now, I know that disappoints you. I know a lot of y'all think probably if anybody got saved by good works, it was me. What's that, Josh? But to bust your bubble, not even I have enough good works to to get myself to heaven. (coughs) You can amen, Joe. I know that. In the same way, we've got to understand, we've we've embraced that. You know, we've been taught that, our doctrinal stance, our church, we understand that salvation doesn't come from works. But we need to also take the principle even further and realize that even our knowledge of God, even our love for God, doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. And, and, and Peter here is being, is being told by Jesus, and, and all of the disciples are being told by Jesus that, Simon, you're blessed. You're blessed because... This knowledge has been imparted to you by the Holy Spirit. The Father has allowed you to grasp this truth. (coughs) Verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, 
And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. <coughs> okay. This is kind of a touchy set of verses to, to try to preach on because it's one that some of the denominations have taken in complete error. Uh, whoops, don't touch the electronics, Charles. You'll lose your place. Some... some um, Some denominations have gone completely off course thinking that somehow Jesus was making Peter the head of the church. Which is a Charles, verse 18 says, Also, I, or Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. You see, what we don't grasp here in the English is the fact that the word Peter is a word that refers to a small rock. Okay? And Jesus is using a play on words. And when he says, and upon this rock, he's referring to a huge cornerstone foundational rock. And that huge cornerstone foundational rock is the revelation of who Christ is. That Peter is being, is, is, is being blessed by God to grasp that truth. And so the foundation for the church isn't Peter. The foundation for the church is the cornerstone that's Christ. And the revelation, the, re- the revealing of Christ to us from God is that rock, is that truth. Peter himself goes on in the book of Peter to write, that refers to us that we are all stones within the church, living stones that God has placed within the church to build up his church, following along the theme of this, um, this interaction he has with Christ. Verse 19 goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. (coughs) The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Man, I forgot them in the car. Maggie, could you go out and get them? Oh, here they are. No. Um, What's the keys of the kingdom of heaven? What do keys allow us to do? Enter. It opens a door. It it gives us access. Without, Without keys, our only access is to break in. Right? Without the keys to the kingdom of heaven, how do we get into the kingdom of heaven? We don't. What gets us into the kingdom of heaven? Christ. The truth that he's talking about here that's only revealed to us by God is the truth of Christ 
the gospel that allows us enters into the kingdom of heaven. And that's been given to us. Now we know today, Peter didn't quite grasp this at this time, but we know that, that today is given to us as he's built his church once he gave us the Holy Spirit. As we, as we came to a knowledge of Christ, as we grasp that revelation from God, of who Christ is and grasp the revelation of our sin and that our sin keeps us from having a relationship with God and we choose to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We yield ourselves to the will of God. Thus we are born again. We receive the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Scripture talks about the Holy Spirit as being our earnest money for our salvation. Once I've received the Holy Spirit, I have a down payment. I have a security. You know, I joked about with Danny about, you know, he was talking about something that was so off base today. I said, I really believe in once saved, always saved, but I don't think that applies to it. You going to tell Sue about what you were talking about? <laughs> I'll tell you later, Sue. Might not lose his salvation in heaven, but it could cost him his life here on this earth. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is revealed to us by the Father. When we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we become a part of the church. And the authority that's given to the church as a whole, not to me as Charles the individual, but to the church to the whole, is to proclaim the gospel. Now, I have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel as an individual, but the keys of the kingdom are given to the church. And the ability to bind on earth and to, to loose on earth is given to the church. That's the responsibility that the church has. And Christ is the head of that. And Christ is the one that gives us directions, that gives us the ability to be obedient, and even gives us the heart and the desire to be obedient. Then in verse 20, he goes on and he says, he warns his disciples, don't tell anyone that he was the Christ. Why would Jesus say, don't tell anybody? I, I would assume that he would want everybody to know. <clears throat> but you see, there's a... The very truth that is being brought out here, the fact that the ability to grasp the truth of the gospel only comes to us as the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We've got to be careful because 
when I interject self-promotion, when I interject trying to sell Jesus the way a salesman is going to sell a vacuum cleaner. This is the best thing your life's ever going to have. It's going to do things you would never imagine. When I start trying to talk people into it, guess what? I'm going to get in the way. All of a sudden, there's going to be barriers in that person's mind that shouldn't be there because God's wanting to reach his heart, not his mind. God's not trying to convince people to receive Christ from an intellectual perspective. Proverbs um, tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. When, when, you know, it is very important that we share the gospel verbally, but we don't share it from an intellectual perspective. We share it from the heart. I share the experience that's happened to me. I share the enthusiasm that I have for the Lord, how amazing, you know, you can, you, you ever been with a salesperson that was very intelligent and very, could tell you everything about a product but had no enthusiasm at all for it? You're probably not going to buy from that person. Then you get some guy there that's first day on the job and he tells you right off the bat, you know, I don't know much about this, but man, I'm excited about it and he's, his enthusiasm just bubble. You, you, you sense something real there that draws us to us. And it, 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 in a sense, it opens up our heart. Our minds are cluttered with all kinds of garbage and all kinds of roadblocks. I mean, if Josh is trying to convince me to become a Christian, I'm sitting there looking at Josh and saying, man, if he's a Christian, I don't want to be like that. God doesn't want those kind of roadblocks. He wants to cut in and go unto the heart. Verse 21. Now, this is a very critical part here because verse 21 starts out, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So verse 21 tells us that this was a critical time in Jesus' ministry in his discipling of the disciples. Up until this point, they've been watching him heal. They've been watching, listening to him teach. They've even experienced him sending them out to heal people, sending them out to uh, cast out demons. They've experienced a whole lot of things. They've experienced... <coughs> Christ feeding the 5,000. Then all of a sudden, now there's 4,000 that need to be fed, and they forgot all about the 5,000. They want him to send them away, and he feeds, he miraculously feeds the 4,000. So they've seen all of these things take place, but now, at verse 21, this is a turning point where Jesus is going to get into the nitty-gritty of what the near future is going to is going to be, and it's not going to be anywhere close to their expectations. 
From this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, verse 22. Remember, just back in verse 17, we're in 22, so verse 17 is, where's our math teacher? (laughs) Five verses before Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. Peter's the one that says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. Now, verse 22, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. That's what it says. He took Jesus aside, began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You got to say, I mean, (laughs) you know, I thought I was a hard-headed guy. But Peter, man, he had, uh, I don't know what he had, but he sure, he sure was bold. (laughs) He, he, he goes from a high of being praised by the Lord. And sure enough, Christ starts revealing the truth of what's going to happen to him. And Peter doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He goes right to Christ and he starts rebuking him. And saying, no Lord, God forbid that this should happen to you. Now, was Peter being malicious? Was Peter being selfish? Was Peter being... Was he he trying to disrupt God's will? I, I think Peter was sin, just sincere. I mean, his emotions, his feelings, his intellect, everything in him was screaming, no, Lord, this is wrong. And Peter was just, didn't have the filter to keep his mouth shut. You know? I'm sure all the other disciples were feeling the same way, but Peter's the only one that's just, He's going to throw it out there. And so it wasn't out of malice or resentment or personal agenda or or evil intent that Peter tries to turn Christ aside. It was out of sincere emotions. Verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, this is, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Man, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall. <laughs> I mean, how quickly that conversation turned from, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, blessed are you, Peter. We're go- God's going to build his church. And, you know, all of the stuff that Peter just must have felt so good about and, you know, so much love for Christ and so much desire to want to, do what the Lord wanted him to do, but 
then Christ all of a sudden starts talking talking negative, talking about bad things going to happen. And Jesus and Peter just couldn't have any of it. And, and so, after, so he, in haste, he just jumps in there and he rebukes Peter. And then the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. And he says, goes on to say, you're a stumbling block to me. We know Christ wasn't enthusiastically looking forward to facing the cross. He was moving that direction out of obedience to the Father. It wasn't his will, it was the Father's will. He was being obedient to the Father. He understood what the near future held for him, and he begged the Father to remove it from him later. And so Peter, jumping in, and I'm sure Christ's heart was for Peter, could sense Peter's reaction, but yet he calls Peter Satan, and he says, you're, you're being a stumbling block to me. It's critical for us to understand that last part of that verse. Because Christ defines why Peter was referred to as Satan. And he defines why Peter was a stumbling block to him. He says, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. You see, all of the sincere desires in the world we have, (coughs) all of the great things we want to do for God, all the moral things we want to accomplish, (coughs) just because they're good, just because they're moral, just because they're sincere, does not make them right. The only thing that's right is what's done in obedience to God's will. The best of intentions outside of God's will is working for the devil. We mistakenly think, oh, people that serve the devil are those that are out there promoting wickedness, trying to get people to to fall into sin, trying to promote all of this immorality and injustice in the world and suffering. But we have to be very careful because we can be just as destructive as children of God when we act like Peter, when we think like Peter, when we set our minds on things that are really not God's interest, but our own. I mean, how was Christ not going to be crucified? Anything could be defined as being man's interest. Well, it was man's interest because Peter didn't want to see it happen. He didn't want to see Christ suffer. Now you say, well, that's sincere. We, we don't want to see anybody suffer. But yet suffering has a purpose. Suffering had a purpose for Christ. 
Suffering has a purpose in all of our lives. You take any one of us and you remove the suffering out of our lives and we become much worse characters than we already are. God's interest over man's interest. We have to very clearly make sure that the agendas we promote, that the plow we put our hands to, that the effort we put forth is truly coming from God's interest. Like, thank you, Joe. There is a scripture that says you give a long-winded teacher a glass of water and you get a long-winded teacher's reward. Where was I? (laughs) I'm just about done with the introduction. The actual message of the sermon is the entire Bible in three or four hours. We'll get started here in a second if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. (laughs) Okay? Um, Couple of things, important things about this. If anyone... doesn't just refer to those Christians who have a special calling. Now, there are special callings. We know, we understand that some men are called to be pastors and preachers in churches. Some are called to evangelists as evangelists. Those are, those are special callings defined in Scripture. But the calling here of a disciple is not a special calling. It's a calling that applies to every Christian. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In a sense, every one of us can say we all have the same calling and it's two words. And it's two words spoken by Jesus, and those two words are, follow me. Follow me does not mean I study about what Jesus did, and I try to do everything I do as what would Jesus do. Because that's based upon my logic. Follow me, when Jesus tells us to follow me, and we impart in a relationship with him, having been born again, having received the Holy Spirit, and we engage in that following Christ aspect of living, that's that personal relationship where 
We pray, we hear his voice, we obey or we disobey from him, we learn our lesson, we repent, and we continue that path of taking one step at a time through this life. We get blessed and we get rebuked. Um, We hear, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, and we hear, get behind me, Satan. Because that's a relationship. That's what it means to follow Christ. Verse 25. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. (coughs) Anyone that tries to live their own life. Chooses to hold on to their own life. And and. Do it my way, will lose their life. And it's not talking about death here. It's talking about the life we leave here. Is it going to fulfill God's purpose or is it not going to fulfill God? To not fulfill God's purpose on this earth is to lose your life. But those of us who lay our life down for God, meaning When we receive Christ, we actually yield our lives to God's will through the direction of the Holy Spirit. We yield our lives. Now, he gives us choices to make, but even those choices, we we ask him for direction. And during that path is where we truly find life. Because it's that path that we truly find purpose. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do the prayer list afterwards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pray for this message. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. And that it is always alive for your Holy Spirit that teaches us from your word. Lord, I just pray that you'll continue, that you've already revealed to us the truth, the magnificent cornerstone, foundational truth of who you are, of repentance, of being born again, of the Holy Spirit, of being a member of a church, Lord all of those blessings in our life, we just pray that we don't become comfortable there. We just pray that we continue to seek you every day. We continue to look to follow you every path we take, whether whatever occupation we choose to live. Lord, we just pray that you'll put within our heart a desire to follow you. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.